Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So we're going to be in week three now, Feast, Fast, and Faith, uh, with a goal of trying to understand how these rhythms of the Old Testament, especially the feast and fast, but even like in the law and the ceremonies and all these things in the Old Testament, how do those things connect to our faith today? Understanding how Jesus fits into that and fulfills those things is important because it gives us uh, uh, the broader understanding of the New Testament. And that, of course, is what the New Testament writers had. They had a, a total view of the Word of God. They didn't just think, oh, it's just now what we're saying. But they talk about the Scriptures a lot. Jesus talks about the Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets a lot because it's all the Word of God. And so how does Jesus fit into that uh, is a question that we're really trying to wrestle with. Because, and I'll probably say this every week, because I realize that for a lot of people, the Old Testament and New Testament connection can be a little tenuous um, because we are not Old Testament Jews, nor are we New Testament Jews, right? Most of us don't have that understanding just innately. And so to say that there's this connection may be one thing, but to say I really understand that connection is another thing altogether. Because I do believe that God has, has put these little clues all across the Old Testament, but especially in the feasts and the festivals and the things that we're looking at. He's put these clues there to point us to Jesus and then also to point us to the plan as a whole. Because they don't end just in Jesus. I mean, a lot of these ones, they go beyond Jesus as well and they go to the, the end of the whole story. So it's good to know these things. If God wanted them to do these every single year, forever, it says, and that's why Jews 3,500 years later are still celebrating these, even when they don't believe in God sometimes. I mean, that's saying something. They're still doing these things, and a lot of Jews don't even believe in the God that they're about. But he said, I want you to always, always, always do these throughout all generations. So 3,500 years later, here we are still talking about them for a reason, um, because I believe there's something to learn. Now, the question that's going to guide this whole entire series is um, this next one here. How can the ancient festivals of the Old Testament inform our modern faith today? Because here's the truth. If you say you're a Christian today, so those of us in the room that say, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus, you've got to know that your Christian faith is rooted in Old Testament Judaism. Right? Jesus was a Jew. The Old Testament books, some of them are specifically written to Jews. And if they're not specifically written to Jews, they're, they're written with a Jewish mindset. So again, this is the world that the New Testament uh, is birthed out of. And so how can this ancient, you know, or these, I guess, ancient festivals of the Old Testament inform our modern faith today? That's something we want to re- wrestle with and try to understand better. And to answer that question, as I said over the last couple of weeks, there's five other questions that we want to try to work through to help us all understand this and absorb this information that may not just be like natural for us. So the questions, we're going to start in scripture. Where do we find it? Most of these are scattered across the entire law. So they're in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're not going to read all of that, but we're going to start and we're going to read passages of scripture. We're going to start with God's word and then just quickly placing it on the calendar. When was it? And then two related questions. What was it exactly? And then why did they celebrate it? Right? What, what did it actually mean and why were they celebrating? What did it mean to them? And then the other two questions that we'll tackle for us today. How does it connect to Jesus? And then why does it matter to us? So why does it matter to you sitting here 2023? You say you're a follower of Jesus or you're curious about Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. Wherever you are in that, what does it matter to us today? That's a question we always want to try to land in at the end of something like this, especially. So these are our big questions. Now, we also have some basic understandings of these festivals. And the first one is relationship. So that's like the first big idea that we want to make sure we don't ever get too far away from is that God says, I want relationship with you. And I want regular rhythms all throughout your year that put us in connection with one another, that make you aware of my goodness and my relationship to you. So Next slide there. Um, you have then identity. So he wants us then to understand, or and not us so much, but the people that he gave these to. He wants them to know their identity, who they are. 
Uh, don't forget you're my people. Don't forget you're a blessed people. Don't forget you're a chosen people. That the gifts that you have in your life, the goodness in your life, comes from me. Now, that's a really good one for us. We can find our identity in a lot of things today other than God. But he's saying, no, 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 don't forget who you belong to. And then his faithfulness in the past, right? It's a reminder of the festival's faithfulness of the past and faithfulness in the future. And then, as I mentioned before, this is Jesus' world. And these, uh, they point to him, these festivals, and then they're ultimately fulfilled in him. So these are like big, big ideas, regardless of the feast or the fast that we talk about. These are really underlying and, and woven throughout all of them. So we want to make sure, again, relationship, I see, is, is a huge one there that we want to keep in mind. Now, the actual festivals, each week, again, we'll take a little bit of time just to say, all right, so where, what do we talk about? And what, what exactly was that festival about again? And why does it matter? So the first one is Shabbat. Uh, this one is the Sabbath. It starts every week, Friday night. It ends every week. Saturday night, because Jewish days go sunset to sunset, right? Genesis 1. It was evening and it was morning, right? So that's how they reckon their days. Now, though, this idea, what's important? What are you supposed to do on the Sabbath? Rest, right? You're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to work. Why? Because God cares about people. Jesus said this is something that was given to man, right? This is an intentional thing God did because he wants us to rest. And he wants us to, secondly, on that day of rest, worship. Right? Those are the two big things. That's what's supposed to happen on Shabbat. And this, the reason it's important to know this is because this is foundational to all the feasts and the fast. Like every single one of them has this component as a part of it, that he wants them to rest and worship. So in your own life, a great question to ask yourself is, are you resting regularly and are you worshiping regularly? I mean, God thought it was so important that he said every single week, you've got to do this. Now don't, and then, but we can get legalistic about this too, though, like the Pharisees did. So why Jesus got so upset with them. They made all these rules when God said, look, I just want you to take a day of rest and worship. And what did the Pharisees do? What did religious people do? Well, they built like walls around it and they just made this impossible so that it was a day of ridiculousness where by the time Jesus shows up, they get mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, right? You can't even heal. You can't even care for people on the Sabbath. That's how bad it had gotten. When God said, look, I want you to rest and I want you to worship. So in your own life, are you regularly resting? Are you regularly worshiping, right? connecting with God? Worship can't just happen on Sundays. You're going to have a pretty dry faith, right? And then today, how we get legalistic about this is, you know, oh, well, uh, we celebrate the Sabbath, but just on Sunday. No, we don't. We don't celebrate the Sabbath, right? We just don't. We celebrate the resurrection, So just to be clear, that's why church is on Sunday, not because we've shifted the Sabbath. The Sabbath is and always will be on Saturday, but we still need a day of rest and worship. So I remember growing up and I didn't grow up in church, but as I began to, um, I kind of developed a very legalistic view of what the Sabbath was. So I honestly believe that it was a sin against the creator of the universe to work on Sundays. And then I would go out to eat after church on Sunday, right? So there was like a a total hypocrisy there in me, like, well, you know, it's a sin for me, but these guys, well, it's okay for them because they're dirty sinners, right? But I remember thinking that, like, I, and I just, I don't know why. And so then if I had part-time jobs when I was in school, if I had to work on Sundays, man, I felt really convicted about it. And I totally misunderstood the whole idea of Sabbath, right? Totally misunderstood what God was trying to do and say, no, you need a day where you're spending time with me and a day where you're resting, right? But again, we legalize it. We put all these, like, you know, things around it. But this is a foundational idea to all of these things. So next, uh, the, we looked at Rosh Hashanah. So this is a major festival that kicks off a very festive time of year. Uh, however, Rosh Hashanah is not biblical. It's not actually in the Bible. It's just what's become of the Feast of Trumpets. So the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, was a day about, again, rest. It was a day about preparing your heart for Yom Kippur, which was coming up. And it was a day about remembering the goodness of God, right? It was at the beginning of the festival time or the uh, harvest time. And eventually what happened after the temple was destroyed, 70 AD, they began calling Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, the new year, because that's what Rosh Hashanah means, means head of the year. So a Jewish new year starts in September slash October-ish, depending on when the lunar calendar is. But this one was a tricky one because Feast of Trumpets is what's in the Bible. And again, it's about a time of preparing your heart. It's about a time for that rest, that worship. Um, but over time, it developed into this whole different thing that now today is Rosh Hashanah. But the idea of trumpets in the Bible, though, where it applies to us, 
This is an idea over and over and over again. The trumpet blast was meant to make you aware of something. Get ready because something is coming. And then this goes all the way, and it keeps echoing through the whole Old Testament. It goes into the New Testament. Jesus picks up on this trumpet theme. The New Testament writers pick up on the New Testament or the uh, trumpet theme. And they say, we need to be prepared for the day of the Lord that's going to be announced with the trumpet. So what does that mean? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, man, you better be ready to meet Jesus. Like, you better live your life worthy of the calling that you've received, like Paul says in Ephesians 4.1. You better live your life like that, like you believe him. It's free grace, but it's not cheap grace. You know what I'm saying? So if you're a Christian, stop living like it's cheap grace. Stop looking like everybody else. The world doesn't need everybody else. They need Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that 100%. That's the way your life needs to look because there's a reminder that we are all going to stand before Christ and give an account of our lives, even as Christians. Right? It's different from like heaven and hell judgment, but we're all going to stand before Christ. It says it really clearly in the New Testament that that's going to happen for all of us. And if you don't know Jesus, there's got to be an awareness that eventually you're going to meet him. And it's either going to be his savior or his judge. That's a harsh reality that you see, borne out by Jesus himself and then the rest of the New Testament. So this one was, there's a lot that echoes into the future with this one here. And then the next one we got into was Yom Kippur. Ten days later, after the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. Day of payment, right? They could not pay for it themselves. And this is the one most often that people are like, I don't understand why there has to be so much blood. Like, why was God always killing the animals? What'd they ever do to anybody, right? And it's like, two things. One, they always got to share that animal. Somebody was eating the animal. I remember for a long time just thinking like they killed the animal and then threw the thing out. Well, no, the family got to eat that. The priests got a share of that to eat. And so it was always eaten and shared But on this particular day, there was a focus solely of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies just this one time a year to make atonement, to make payment for the nation of Israel. And he did that for himself with the bull. He did that with the goats. And then the idea of blood needing to cover this comes from Leviticus 17. So if ever you're wondering, well, why the blood? Why does it have to be that? Leviticus 17, it's the lifeblood that makes atonement. And right before this, in verse 11, he said... It's the, 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 the life of a creature is in its blood. And so sin is such a serious thing. God wanted to, like the Old Testament very often did, wanted to create a very physical picture of the cost of sin. And that's why there's death, because death is a result of sin, right? It costs, there's a high cost to sin. And again, that would point, Matthew 26, Jesus would come along, next slide, and Jesus would come along and he would say, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is showing up and saying, look, I am the atoning sacrifice. I am the point of Yom Kippur. I fulfill once and for all Yom Kippur. It's the perfect sacrifice where I could go in, not offering a sacrifice for myself, but offering myself as a sacrifice for you. This is going to be the way that you know you're right with God. So when you walk away from the Yom Kippur celebration or the festival, you need to remember that This is something that Jesus is saying. If you want to know you're right with God, if you want to know your sins are forgiven, if you want to know that you've got direct access to God, because that's another result of this, and that your eternity is secure, you don't have to wonder and hope for the best, then you go to the Savior. You go to Jesus. You go to the one who went to the cross for us, who paid with his blood on our behalf. So this is a, this is a huge one. And this, like this very same idea we're going to see next Sunday again come back in Passover. Because next Sunday is Palm Sunday, but we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday really in the context of Passover because we're going to be doing the Passover Seder that night. But also, that's why Jesus was in town, right? That's what was going on when Jesus was sacrificed. So the, the Passover lamb, again, a huge theme right here, the same idea. So, today, our third feast, our third festival, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Or, depending on your translation, you might have Feast of Booths. Or, you might have Feast of Shelters. Now, yesterday, when I was talking about this with Asher, I said something about Feast of Booths. And she said, Feast of Booze? Like, I was like, yeah, man, party time. Old Testament was rocking, you know? So, Feast of Booths with a T-H. Um... But, in a sense, though, this is a celebratory festival. Uh, It's not about sin and debauchery, uh, obviously, but it is a celebratory time. And so, first question, uh, to get us to introduce and to know this one, is where do we find it? So, 
Next slide. So we have a lot of places, and this is basically what you'll see for every single one of the festivals. You're going to see a little bit in Exodus. You're going to see it explained for the people in Leviticus. You're going to see it fleshed out again in Numbers, because now they're doing it. And then in Deuteronomy, which is a repetition of the law. Deuteronomy is the last four sermons of Moses before they go into the Promised Land. So you're going to see a whole bunch of repetition in Deuteronomy. And oftentimes in Deuteronomy, you're going to see like a, a really in-depth way of doing this festival. So it's like you, you do see a lot of this repetition, but sometimes it's because they're doing it and it's recording it. And other times you're just getting more detail. Obviously, we're not going to read all of this um, because I want you guys to stick around to the end. But we're going to be in a couple of these places just to see, okay, generally what's going on here. And then like last week, we're actually going to watch a video to be able to help us kind of just see what this actually looked like. Okay. So in Leviticus 23 is where we're going to land just to see what are, what are the people supposed to do, right? So the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites, the festival of shelters or tabernacles or booths to the Lord begins on the 15th day of this seventh month and continues for seven days. So this is a week-long festival. There's to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You're not to do any daily work. You're to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the eighth day, you're to hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly, and you are to do no daily work. So then the booze, what, what exactly are they doing for a week? Verse 39, you are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. So this is a harvest festival. There will be complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you're to take the product of majestic trees. So palm fronds, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So what that means is they're taking the fruit of these trees, and it's just like they're holding it up. And it's like, a, again, a very physical, tangible way of remembering, okay, these are the gifts from God. So they're like literally just holding these things up and kind of waving them around. And then verse 41, you were to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. Celebrate, again, there's celebrate. He just keeps celebrating, celebrate, celebrate in the seventh month. You are to live in shelters for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in shelters so that your generations may know. This is a picture, right? This is a picture going forward. So that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Okay, so there's where we see it in Scripture. So let's just break that down then a little bit. So where or when was it in the calendar? Again, it's, it's going to be uh, after you have the Feast of Trumpets, that you have this big fast, and now all of a sudden you've got this celebration at the end of it, all within the month of September-ish. So it begins to go back to Leviticus. It begins... On the 15th day of this seventh month and continues for seven days. So 15 days after the Feast of Trumpets and then five days after the Day of Atonement, you get to celebrate for an entire week. Very festive time of the year for them. And this festival, like, again, where is this happening? Is this is happening right after the olive and the grape harvest were done. So, and those are the last ones. So it's at the very, very end of the harvest season, and it's like their final big party of, of Thanksgiving, more or less, is what's happening here. So that's, that's kind of where we are on the calendar. And then some of you might even have, in some of your translations, a feast of ingathering. And the whole, what that means is, again, you're just, you're bringing in all the produce. It's a festival of ingathering. So, next question. What was it? So we have um, Thanksgiving. First and foremost, you see that over and over and over again. This is a celebration of Thanksgiving. But also, again, right, rooted in the Sabbath. Rest. And then remembering that 40 years in the wilderness. And there's two things I think that are important here. Who lived in tents? The people did, but who else lived in a tent? Yeah, right. So there's this, like, there's this kind of both and thing that not only did the Israelites have to live in tents, and so they, the people then would remember that by living in tents for a week, but it was also this like, like hearkening back to when God himself was living in the tabernacle. And that's an interesting thing that we're going to see played out as we move through this morning. But this idea that God himself dwelt with the people, that he lived with the people, moved with them so that they could physically see that God was actually with them and guiding them and taking care of them. And then so what exactly, how did it break down? So there was a sacred assembly 
on day one. So to kick this thing off, there was a sacred assembly. You weren't to do any work. Again, it was rest. And then for the other seven days, for the rest of the time, you basically partied, right? You celebrated. And again, I'm not talking uh, sin and debauchery here, but it's a celebration of God's goodness. There's food offerings. It's a time for community to be together. And then on the last day, everything kind of slows back down. And then there's no work being done. And it's worship and it's rest. So it's like a really, really good time for the people of Israel to come together and celebrate. That's what it was all about. That's what they were to do. And it was also, to answer the, the, the second part of what was it, it was one of three major pilgrimage festivals. So this will help you understand. If you can get your mind around the pilgrimage festivals, you'll be able to better understand what was going on in some major events in the New Testament. So in, uh, let's see, I think I have the, yeah, in Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17, this is what they were called to do. So he says, all your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses, which would be Jerusalem uh, eventually. And so at the festival of unleavened bread, which is, again, a week-long festival, Passover is one day, and then the unleavened bread is a, is a whole week thing. So Passover week is actually the festival of unleavened bread, and we'll get to that. So that's why at the crucifixion of Jesus, there's so many people there because everybody has to come back. It's a pilgrimage festival that everybody's in town for. And then you have the festival of weeks, which is Pentecost. So why was Peter able to preach to thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews? Well, because thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews were commanded to go back to Jerusalem and be there for Pentecost or the festival of weeks. And then today what we're looking at, the festival of shelters. And it says, no one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this is something bringing an offering. And then last, everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. So if you've been blessed a lot, you know, your gratitude should be a lot. If you've been blessed a little, then it's going to be a smaller proportion than somebody that comes in that's been blessed a lot. But in John chapter 7, 8, and 9, which we're going to land in briefly today, you're going to see Jesus is being taunted by his brothers. They don't believe in him at this point. It specifically says some of his brothers did not believe in him. So they're like, hey, Jesus, you should go up, man. You got to get your, you got to get the word out there. If you want people to be following you, if you're the Messiah, bro, get up there, right? Go. There's thousands of people here in town. Go start talking about your Messiahship. And he's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not my time. And then he kind of goes there on the sly, right? A little bit later, but that's what's happening. So the, the festival of shelters has brought everybody in Jerusalem in that scene. So there's these three major times throughout the year where people are coming in to town. And then interestingly, I put this one in here uh, really because it comes out of the clip that we're about to watch. And I was unaware of this because my journey through this has been, I've been learning a lot. It's, it's, it's taken me so much, so much time to study some of these festivals because I know of them, but I don't really know them, know them. And so I've had to like scour all of the Bible, basically trying to figure out what fits and what doesn't and like how much is too much and what's, you know, not enough and all that. But I watched this clip from The Chosen. And if you've not watched The Chosen yet, you need to. It's an awesome show. It brings to life the story of the disciples, that The Chosen. They do take some artistic license because, of course, there's not a lot we know about like, what was going on in the background all the time. Um, but they bring these characters to life, which I think is cool. And this next verse out of Zechariah is one that they quote. And he's sitting there, and one of the disciples is kind of upset. Um, this guy, James, one of the disciples, James, is a little upset about this right here. And they're, they're currently, the, the clip we're going to watch, they're celebrating the Feast of Booze, and he doesn't understand this verse right here. So in the, the video, he, yep, next slide. In the video, he looks over at Jesus, and he asked him about this. He says, then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king. So the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem. So this festival is going to be one that unites literally the enemies of Israel. So here they are, they've been at war with one another. But eventually there's going to come a time when the survivors from those wars are going to come and worship the king. Next part. The Lord of armies and to celebrate the festival of shelters. So again, this is like end time stuff. So some of these they're, they're not just like, oh, they did that in the Old Testament. Like, these things pointed to Jesus, were fulfilled by Jesus, and some of them are yet to be fulfilled. And so in this clip, notice, um, he quotes this verse, and it's actually the, the, I just got this clip off the internet, so they, they actually put the wrong reference. It's not 1420, it's 1416. But this is what he's talking about, and he just, he's confused about it. And notice Jesus' response to this. 
because it, uh, man, it's like it's it's just dead on. So here's from the chosen what this fe- festival of shelters look like. With all due respect, Nathaniel, I know you're a skilled architect, but this thatched roof won't keep the rain out. That's the point. The vegetation provides shade from the sun during the day. And if a few raindrops get through, it is a reminder of our dependence on God, of His provision, and of how our people were so vulnerable in the wilderness. And He brought us through. There was time in my life, in my old life, where I had to sleep outside. It is a good reminder of how I was delivered from that. This time of dwelling in booths is also a leveler of people. Wealthy, poor, everyone sleeps outside as equals. Well, let's be honest. Not all booths are created equal. Yes, Nathaniel, the beauty of this booth is itself an act of worship. Rabbi, I have a question. Yes. In the prophet Zechariah, it is written, and everyone who has survived of all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Wait, what? Zechariah says that? They read that passage of the feast every year? You just don't pay attention. And there's a lot of readings. They sort of run together. What exactly is your question, Big James? One day, our enemies will celebrate this feast with us, Babylonians, Assyrians, Rome, the Romans, Jews and Gentiles at this table? What would have to happen for that to be possible? Something will have to change. But the boots won't mean anything to them. We're the ones who dwelt in temporary shelters while we wandered the wilderness, not them. Everyone has wandered through the wilderness at some point. If all the nations came to celebrate in Jerusalem, there will not be enough room, not by... I will not bore you with the calculations. I think it will not be Jerusalem as we know it now. Certainly not. But if Zachariah prophesied it, it will be fulfilled, right? It just sounds impossible. I know a thing or two about prophecies that sound impossible. Anyone have other questions? <laughs> so that's from the show. It's a great, uh, it's a great show. I would definitely recommend watching it because it really does. Uh, it's a very binge-worthy show um, because you get to know these characters and kind of what they came through and what they came from. But like Jesus said, you know, they're like, well, they're not even going to be able to understand the celebration. These Gentiles—that would be us, just in case you were unclear—that's you know, non-Jews. Uh, but I love Jesus' response, you know, that one, something's going to have to change. And that two, we've all wandered through the wilderness at some point in our life. Like, we've all need to know that, you know, here we are wandering around, but God is still with us. God hasn't abandoned us. So there's, there's also that beauty in this celebration as well. But why did they celebrate it? Now, um, we said what it was and, and what it meant. But, and of course, there's the Thanksgiving, there's the rest, there's all those types of things that are involved in it. But I do think it's interesting, though, that with this one, it's the only one of the feasts where they're actually commanded to celebrate. For seven days, I want you to celebrate. I want you to have fun. I want you to rejoice and do it in community. Because God has this reputation, I very much believe, of just like this big curmudgeon who doesn't want us to have fun or doesn't want us to enjoy anything. But here is some is God saying, no, 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 I care so much about you. I want you to rest and I want you to have fun. Like you've got to stop being a curmudgeon and you need to have fun is almost like what God is saying. Like stop being so busy. Stop being so tied up in life. I want you to slow down and I want you to celebrate and remember my goodness here at the end of the year, right? As, as we look back after, after all this stuff, we look back. Uh, and now I can celebrate and remember. Now, there's a couple other things, too, I think, that they, they celebrated this for because I think God was also saying, and I think he would also say it to us as well, like, don't forget that you're a chosen people. Don't forget that you're a blessed people. Don't forget your relationship to me. Don't try to find your identity in other things. Like, remember, if you say you're mine, 
then act like it. Remember it. Celebrate it. Talk about it. Live it out, right? Actually be a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. Now, another part, though, is that he is absolutely, I think, when I look at this one, there's this connection. He's saying, look, you're going to have to live in these tents because it's going to be a physical reminder forever that you wandered around the desert and I took care of you. But then also, like we said earlier, there's a totally reminder that I want you to remember that I actually dwelled with you. Like that the creator of the universe came into this little tent that I had you made, the tent of meeting first, and then it was eventually made into the tabernacle, and then eventually the temple. And he says, I did, I was with you in all of those places in a very physical way, fire at night, pillar smoke during the day, like all that. I guided you around. I was with you. And so there's that very much tied up in it. And that idea is going to carry forward because, of course, when Jesus shows up, we're going to see what they said about him. And then what do they say about our bodies? Right? Oh, your body's a temple of the Lord. Well, for what? For the spirit of the Lord. Why? Because he's tabernacling with us. So this is an idea that, again, it just keeps perpetuating all throughout. So why do they celebrate it? It's because he was actually there with them and to remember their own station in life. Because this one right here, look at this, their own station in life. Think about you where you live right now and this is the stage of, stage of life you're in. It reminded them that total dependence on God, like there was always this total dependence on God, which remains even when we think ourselves settled and secure. Like in America, we're pretty much settled and secure. Things are like uneasy. Things can be kind of like, uh, you know, when you look at the economy and the government and like a lot of other things. But if you look at the rest of the world, we're way, way, way better off. We, we are blessed. We have it really, really good here. We're spoiled to death. And so in the middle of all that, can we be reminded that we still have total dependence on God and, and that remains regardless of how good I'm doing or how good my country is doing or my family is doing? Like, I still absolutely desperately need God. Do you live that way? Do you have that mentality? Or does it only happen when things get bad? Right? Because that's what he said would happen to the Israelites. You know, back when he's given the law, he's like, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into the land. I'm going to bless you. Things are going to get good, and you are going to forget about me. So here's what's going to happen when you forget about me. And it's like, oh, God's so harsh. He said it before they even went in. He said, don't forget me, or it's going to get really ugly. And then everybody looks at the Old Testament like, oh, man, God's so mean. It's like, well, he said it like a million times. And they just were like, mm, forget you, God. I'm going to do it my own way. So again, today as Christians, are we going to fall into that same trap? Are we going to have this just total dependence on God all the time. So then, to bring it up to Jesus and his disciples and the ministry that he had, and then, of course, how does that affect us? First and foremost, when you see this, um, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the, it's fulfilled in Jesus in two really, really important ways, like really, really crucial ways was this specific feast fulfilled in him. So there's first is the first coming of Jesus when he was here on earth the first time. It was fulfilled in him. Because at Christmas every year, we read a passage of Scripture that reminds us of who Jesus is. And it's out of Matthew 1, and we're going to read it together right now. So out of Matthew 1, you see this. It's the announcement to Mary, right, or about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him what? Because he will save his people from their sins. And read this last one especially with me here next. Now all this took place... To fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Lastly, C, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him, which is translated, God is with us. So, literally, the announcement about the birth of Jesus was a fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. He is literally going to come and tabernacle with you. He is literally going to come and live with you. And if you're still doubtful, like, I'm not sure, the Gospel of John is going to pick this up in chapter 1. And he's going to say, next slide, he is going to say, the word, or in Greek, the logos, which is the mind of God, it's the very essence of who God is, that became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the reason I put two Greek words in there is because I want to make sure we know who we're talking about with the word. That's the very mind, essence, and being of God is going to come and he's going to dwell among us. Now, there's other Greek words that John could have used rather than, as you see here, skeneo, right? There's different words he could have used. He could have just said lived with us. But instead, next slide, he used a Greek word 
to live or camp in a tent or to tabernacle. John was very specific about the wording that he used because he understood what was happening with Jesus Christ. That God himself, just as in the Old Testament, was running around in the desert with the people and he tabernacled with them there. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment, the ultimate fruition of that to say, I'm going to come and be in this world with you. I'm going to actually live in a tent, just like Paul says our bodies are. I'm going to tabernacle with you. That is who Jesus Christ is. So again, that was the whole celebration being brought forward. And it's interesting how Jesus would say that in that video clip. It's not that conversation is not in scripture, but something is going to have to change. In order for this, this festival to be ultimately what it is supposed to be, that Zechariah said, something pretty intense is going to have to happen. And, of course, Jesus understood that the whole point of the festival was about him and what he would do and about God's presence with us in this life. So, he's connected, but also, though, that there's this idea of how does, how does it connect to Jesus? It's not just, like, his birth and the fact that he was here, but Jesus if you haven't noticed, is a master speaker, right? Jesus Christ took everything around him. He took what was happening. He took people that were just standing next to him. He'd be like, hey, come here, kid. And then he would just teach a lesson, right? And he would just bring a kid and he would just talk about it, right? Or he would like talk about what was happening in the seasons. Or he would talk about agriculturally. He would talk about the government. Anything and everything. Jesus just brought all that in so that people would understand what he was trying to say. And so, during the Feast of Tabernacles, John 7, 8, and 9, he's going to do it again in a very masterful way. So, a little background, a little history that you're not going to get just by reading the New Testament um, because things had changed. Again, as religions often do, they take what God said to do and they just start adding things. They start making it better, right? Because God, yeah, God gave us a starting point, but we're going to make it better, right? And so, all these things happen, and they're not always bad. But there's all of this stuff that had been added to the Feast of Trumpets. Now, what had happened, there's two ceremonies that Jesus is going to take advantage of. Next slide. Are the symbolic ceremonies of the water and the lamp and torches. So, not in the Bible anywhere, but historical. What they would do, the high priest and all the priests. So this is like a total, there's thousands of people already in town. And the high priest and all the priests are going to come out in this big procession. They're going to go down to either a pool or a stream. They're all going to get these pitchers of water and their cool little gold uh, pitchers. And then they're going to walk in procession every single day of this festival. They're going to go back up to the temple area and they're going to walk around the temple area. And then they're going to pour out the water as an offering to God and, and, you know, kind of a prayer forward saying, Lord, okay, we're at the end of the summer. We're at the end of the harvest and we need some rain because the wells are all dry. The cisterns are all dry. So they developed this little thing around this time of year. So they would pour the water out and pray for the fall rains. So they would do this every single day. And then on the seventh day, they would do it seven times. So, I mean, this is like a whole thing. And so Jesus is going to stand up, like right when this is going on, this water ceremony is happening. Jesus is going to stand up. And in John 7, he's going to make this claim. And he's going to actually scream it out, uh, is what is in the Greek. And on the last day, and the most important day of this festival of shelters, Jesus stood up and cried out. So like literally he screams this out so everybody can hear this. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Right? So here are these priests pouring out this water and almost like a kind of like an empty ceremony. Right? Like we don't need to like bribe God. You know, we don't need to be like bringing the water and dumping it out. But he's like, if you really want something that's going to satisfy, I need you to come to me as they're doing this. And the next verse. He says, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, and we don't know specifically which one he's talking about, they will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. So what does that mean? So John clarifies in verse 39. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit. Next. For the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So death, burial, and resurrection had not yet happened. So the way that the Spirit was going to pour out on people, that's like a life-giving Spirit. And so here's Jesus, again, taking advantage of his surroundings and saying, look, see what they're doing, everybody? Like, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but if you want, like, water that's not just being poured out, like, if you want something that's going to really bring life and sustenance, because that's why they were doing it, like, then you need to come to me, because that's what I'm here to give you. So again, master teacher, then, as you saw in that video, he's going to use these, they had these lights, right? Everybody had their lights 
in their, their little torches. And it wasn't just for practical purposes. Because what did the flame remind them of from that time in the desert? Right. You had the, you had the presence of God at night guiding them through that pillar of fire, like where to go. And so they did that to highlight that. So Jesus understands that. Jesus sees that they're doing this every night. And so he says, all right, let me take that and then let me show you again how I am the fulfillment of this festival. So in John 8, the next chapter, still during this festival, that's when Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness as they feared walking in the desert, right? But will have the light of life. So here's Jesus Christ, again, taking advantage of this festival to really announce his Messiahship. I'm the fulfillment of that one. Like, this is about me. This is this, is this festival in real life, everybody. And so he's trying to get people to understand what he's come to do. And this is early in his ministry, so people are still a little confused. But here's Jesus Christ saying, this is all about me. So, that's a lot. But let's step back and like let's piece this together again. So, in the Old Testament, they're walking through the desert. God is literally giving his visible presence at night and at day through this, the, the top of the tabernacle. He's just following them around so they know he's around there. He literally tabernacled with them. They also are celebrating and remember the fact that they had to do this, that time in the desert, that, that wilderness time. It was, a, it was a humbling time for them. So God's people should be humble. As Jesus said, we've all had our wilderness times. Then you move up to the time of Jesus, and he's saying, okay, look, this is really what this was pointing to. The fact that God himself would come and tabernacle in me, Jesus Christ. Like, that's who I am, and I'm here to be the presence of God with you. So I'm going to walk with you disciples. I'm going to walk with you others, others that are here following me. And then eventually, as we saw in John 1, there's going to be this Holy Spirit that comes, right? Or in John 7, rather, there's going to be the Holy Spirit that comes. And again, as Paul would then say in the New Testament, God is literally going to dwell with us. Like, we get to become the temple. We get to become the tabernacle, so to speak, where the presence of God is. And that's supposed to, don't miss this, you as the tabernacle or temple of God, you are supposed to reflect God. The tabernacle and the temple were supposed to represent the, the glory of God, the love of God, the truth of God. It was supposed to be a representative of God here on earth, because that's where his presence dwelled. So it's not just, and here's what we do. Oh, your body's a temple, so you shouldn't get tattoos. Your body's a temple, so you shouldn't drink alcohol. Your body's a temple, so you shouldn't smoke cigarettes. And it's like, those are the three I remember hearing all the time growing up. So the only thing my body had to do as far as being a temple was I shouldn't smoke, drink, or get a tattoo. And then as I grew up and started to learn, I was like, I think I'm supposed to represent Jesus Christ with this temple. I think that it has less to do with what I put in. And I'm not saying like, oh yeah, go ahead and do it. No, I'm, don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't want people coming in with like, you know, tattoos all over their body and like, you know, coming in here drunk on Sunday. That's not cool. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is, yes, treat your body good, but it's more about who you are as a representation in this world. You are supposed to be the one that God is literally dwelling with. And that's a really, really important calling in your life. So again, like I said at the beginning, it's free grace, but it's not cheap. And we've got to stop treating it like it's cheap, right? Because it very much cost Jesus his life so that the Spirit could dwell with us. So, it also points, though, how does it connect to Jesus? Is yes, it's first and second coming, um, or his first coming, but it also points to that second coming. And I think this is really interesting here, out of Revelation 21. So again, these festivals are so big, they span the whole Bible. So if we go to verse 3 on the next slide, John says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling, here again this word, skinny, tent, is with humanity. And he will live, skeneo, to live or camp in a tent, tabernacle. So he is going to tabernacle with them. So here's this idea coming back again. Next. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This right here, everybody, is the whole point of everything. When God gives them the law in Leviticus, he adds, I want to walk with you. I want to be among you. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. That's in the very beginning. When God is setting up the nation of Israel and giving them the law, which can be very confusing for us today, the whole point, he says, is I am totally holy and you are totally not. So how do we do this together? I want relationship with you. How are we going to make that happen? Well, here's the law so that we can do this. And it was just a substitute. It was just like a, a temporary thing until Jesus would come. 
and we can come and be in the presence of God because God knew ultimately when he comes back, when it's all said and done, the whole point and purpose of everything is so that we can be his people and that God himself can be with us and he can be our God. Like, again, that's why I said relationship is a huge component of these festivals because God is trying to teach us something about himself. He's trying to get us to be in, like, physical communion and relationship and, like, do something, right? Do something, not just give lip service, but, like, actually do something is what he's trying to get us to engage with. Because, again, when it's all said and done in Revelation 21, this is what God wants. But in the meantime, we need to be the tabernacle. We need to be where the Spirit of God dwells, and that should change the way that you live. We need to stop giving ourselves permission to sin, right? It breaks my heart when I know that people are Christians and I hear the things that they talk about. I see how they treat people. I see what they post online. It breaks my heart because I really, they, they forget they are the tabernacle. And that's supposed to mean something. People are supposed to be able to go to the tabernacle and find God. Because here's the thing I would hate. People come to church and all they find is us. Wouldn't that be depressing? Is if they came to church and all they found was us and they didn't even realize God was here. Wouldn't that be depressing? Wouldn't that be miserable? Wouldn't we miss the mark if that was the case? If they walked into this place where people are gathered, where the hope of Jesus is supposed to be, and all they find is a bunch of people. No, they should find a bunch of tabernacles, right? They should find a bunch of places where the Spirit of God is dwelling. That's here, that's at your work, that's your next-door neighbors, right? That's the uh, family reunions you don't want to go to, right? That's everywhere in every situation. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Man, sometimes it's miserable, and sometimes I try to avoid it at all costs, but God tells us to go into those weird places because we represent Jesus, right? So, how does that apply to us? Well, that's really where it lands with us, is we get to be that. Because God is, here's the difficulty. God is like absolutely transcendent, right? Like, in the Bible, he's, it's really clear about that. You know, Isaiah 40 through 55, you can see that big time, and that's a huge theme. Genesis 1, obviously. He's, he's like so other than us. He's holy and like creator of the universe, all that. But the Bible is also really, really clear about his intimacy, right? He is, yes, he is out there and, like, it really, to the full extent, he's unknowable, right? And that's good for me. Like, that doesn't frustrate me at all. Like, I don't, if I can completely know God, he's not God. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, I can't even fully know Brittany. So I'm going to figure God out? Hmm. Probably not, right? I can't figure my kids out, but I, I think I need to nail God down. Like, why do we do that to him, right? Like, I can't even know myself completely. Like, other people sometimes know me better than I do. Brittany, again, knows me better than I know myself sometimes, right? But we want to nail God down and act like he's just, like, this box that we can have. But I think, though, that ultimately, though, that even though he's that big, he is really intimate. And he really does want relationship with us. And he really does understand the struggle. The fact that Jesus came and tabernacled in a body means he gets the suffering. He gets the unfairness. He gets the disease. He had people that didn't get healed in his life. The Apostle Paul had people he couldn't heal in his life. The Apostle Paul couldn't heal himself. Right? And so it's like this suffering that we see, this difficulty we see. And I see, like, in my life as a Christian, it's like, do I get that? Do I get that he is both, like, otherworldly and just like and, and supernatural and and intimate and then he wants that with me and he wants me to be that representation here on earth like do i fully get that so am i li living a life worthy of that calling that i've received and that's my challenge to you are you living like you're a tabernacle and then secondly for those that don't because i never want to take for granted that everybody does but if you don't know christ like that's how we know that we're good with god just like we talked about last week like how do you know your sins are forgiven how do you know that you're right with god that you've got intimate relationship with him well it's because of jesus and again this thousands of years long story that gets just perfectly put together in jesus christ you know and then it's not even over yet you know there's fulfillment still to happen so you look at the bible in its totality how does the old testament festival system have anything to do with our faith today because it's still very much a part of your faith today you know, like very much part of your faith today. And so for us to say, like, look, Lord, I know that that you you are the way to have a relationship with God. Like you are the way to know I have it like in me, that the spirit of God dwells in me because the gospel. Remember, we need to talk about it a lot because I can still ask a lot of Christians, what's the gospel? And they'll say things like, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Or it's the good news of God or. Oh, it's, it's uh, you know, what, what are you supposed to do as Christians? Oh, we're supposed to tell people about God, or, or we're supposed to tell them about Scripture. I think a lot of Christians have no idea what the gospel is. Like, they don't really know what our mission on earth is. They don't know, really, what this is all about and how it points to Jesus and really how Jesus fulfilled that. 
Because remember, here's the gospel laid out clearly. God created us for relationship. That's what we see in all these festivals. But unfortunately, Genesis 3, our sin separates us from God. Everybody here, you're not mistakers. You're sinners, right? You commit sin. Like, that's the big deal. That's the big difference. And I stole that from Andy Stanley. I wish I could take credit, but I can't, right? We're not mistakers, right? People are sinners. And so we need a Savior because of that. But unfortunately, we can't save ourselves. We can't stack up broken plates to make a perfect plate, can we? But that's where the gospel, that's where the power of the gospel is. You are on your way to hell. As Jesus Christ himself said, without Jesus, you stand condemned because you're already condemned. It's not like something is going to happen at some point. You're already under the condemnation. So that's the beauty. Jesus says, well, look, through my death, burial, and resurrection, you can have life because I'm going to pay for that sin. And that's why it's under, like, it helps to understand the Old Testament system because it's like, oh, oh, okay. So sin costs something and it costs life. It costs blood. And Jesus is going to say, and all that was pointing to me and what I would do. Like, I'm going to pay that price for you because you can't. It's a supernatural thing that's, that we're talking about here, right? And then, here's what I love about the last part of that. Everyone who believes in what Jesus Christ did and accepts that and confesses that has eternal life. Not hopefully one day, but what's cool in the New Testament is when you accept Christ, it says you have eternal life. Like, at that moment, you ever thought about that? That eternity starts the moment you accept Christ. And really it does before that. But essentially what scripture says is your eternal life changes in that moment, which is kind of cool. And then here's the hard part for us and where we need to live. Life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever, right? Like life with Jesus is not like, oh, okay, cool. One day I get to go to heaven and now I'll just kind of do what I want. No, you're a tabernacle right now, right? You're a representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? All right, Tim, you want to come up and close us out? So that's our challenge for this week is to go and, and live like you actually have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, if in fact you do. So if you need prayer, you want to talk about whatever, you know, you can hit Tim or I up, you can go over to the cross, there'll be some people over there ready to pray as well. Thank awesome. You. Hey, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this time that we're able to hear your word. Um, it is amazing that you have this plan in mind, that you have always just wanted to know us intimately. And you did so back then by celebrating this feast. You do so now by coming in and indwelling us. The power of the gospel is so much that it can change us in an instant. And so, God, I'm praying that for us as people in this room, uh, that if we have chosen to give our lives to you, that we live as tabernacles, that we know that your spirit is in us and we are changed. We're not called to be people. We're called to be yours. And then if there are those in this room that don't know you, God, I'm praying that we can all um, see you more clearly. The power of the gospel was that uh, you paid the price we couldn't. And so I'm praying that wherever we're at, God, you're speaking to us. Uh, this week we're going to go out, and we have an opportunity to be that tabernacle. The sign right outside the door says you're entering the missions field. And so I'm praying as we go where we go uh, that we get to do what you've called us to do. Father, we love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.